Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. What led a 16-year-old Eagle Scout from Illinois to owning and or operating 16 new car franchises across the country? How did this young man who did farm work go from Kansas to Hawaii in the automotive industry to Washington, D.C., at the Museum of the Bible. This is the story of Mark Benson, a man who loves God, loves people, and has a Christ-like way of rebuilding what is broken. We pause to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show is to share how the love of Jesus makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong, so strong, my friend, that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. This hope has been experienced by Mark Benson. It's our prayer that you too would experience the hope of Christ. Mark Benson is in charge of partner relations for a museum of the Bible, covering from Colorado to Asia. He's been in the automotive business since college, holding a degree from Iowa State University in agricultural economics. Mark has owned and or operated 16 new car franchises across the country. He is a multiple Paul Harris fellow with Rotary International and a Boy Scouts of America Silver Beaver recipient. Mark is married to Mary. They have one son, Patrick, and consider Hawaii their home. Mark, welcome to our show. Oh, wow, Danny. So nice to be on with you again. Thank you so much for your time. Where did you grow up? You know, my father was a Lutheran pastor, and uh, we had congregations outside of uh, Chicago, a little town called West Chicago, then Golden, Illinois. And uh, But my all family was always from Iowa, and so we'd spend our summers in, in uh, Iowa growing up. So I take it you were uh, a Hawkeyes fan? <laughs> you know how to get things going for me early in the morning after my coffee. You know what? Uh, the, the joke in Iowa always was the pretty girls went to uh, Iowa, the Hawkeyes, and then the, the engineers and the ag guys all went to Iowa State. The, the smart guys. The smart guys, right? <laughs> no, I, we're the Cyclones. We're the Cyclones. Very good. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the smart ones go to Iowa State, and there you are, the Cyclones. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> So you Great your, comment. You Great comment. You mentioned your dad is a pastor. Your mom, your mom was a nurse. What kind of nurse was she, Mark? You, you know, my mom uh, was uh, OBGYN and then uh, had a calling later in life in her 40s, actually. And she uh, went back to school and learned oncology. And so she ran a rather large qu- clinic in Moline, Illinois, where she was responsible for thousands of people that were going through chemotherapy and um, cancer. Quite an unusual calling, but uh, did quite well and continued that into her 60s. 
who would you say, you know, we talked about your, your dad and mom, your dad, a pastor, who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? You know, we always have those mentors in our life in and out of the family, but I would have to say that uh, while my dad uh, set a great role model, uh, my mother would clearly be the influence in my life. And her statement, always raising four kids, was fear was required. We had to fear her, but love was optional. In other words, hey, I'm here for you, but right now you've got to keep doing what we want you to do. And uh, it was a great way to grow up. Very close still. How do you feel that that instilled a, a certain kind of gumption in you that lasts to today? You know, that's a great question. So my father would say, you're the oldest. Um, Danny, I got my first uh, loan from the bank, believe it or not, at um, uh, seventh grade. So I guess 12 years old and borrowed money to buy a riding lawnmower. And so my dad kind of saw I was able to take care of myself. So when I was 16, my dad said, I've got three more coming up behind you. Um, I've got enough working to concentrate and try to put food on the table for them. You need to start working on where you're going to go at 16 and you're on your own. Get moving. Now, I didn't move out till I was 18, but uh, I had that uh, backbone to say, you can do it yourself. Just keep just keep paddling the canoe. And I did. How did you become a Christian? I would have to say that growing up in the church um, was meant a lot to me. Went through three years of catechism in the Lutheran church. And whenever I meet a Lutheran, particularly from the Midwest, I always ask them, this is most certainly true, which was what Martin Luther would always uh, say. And, and uh, we learned in catechism. But I would say probably when I really was old enough to truly understand and accept, and I said probably uh, in my 18th year, uh, we were at um, a festival called Jesus Rocky Mountain. Amy Grant, a number of uh, Christian singers were just beginning, were there. And that's really when I saw the people around me and I said, God, I want to be like them. Make me like them. And I, I believe that's probably a big turning point in my life. Well, what did you see in, quote unquote, them that you wanted to be to be like them? You know, at the time, and remember, this is in the early 80s, you know, the uh, song that was fairly popular in Christian circles was, you know, they will know we are Christians by our love. And I remember sitting there and looking at these people and looking at the joy in their lives, people of all ages and acceptance of each other. And that joy that they had was really what I saw was going to be important in my life. And that's really what I wanted to do instill in me for values going forward. As you grew you talk about values growing forward. Other key moments in your Christian spiritual formation. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, you know, you're around different people and uh, people talk to you at, at uh, different times that God anoints them. Um, Ravi Zacharias, I uh, uh, listened to him as I, I told Ravi years ago that I listened to him almost as a youth, which he didn't like hearing, but it was true. Um, other people on the Moody Broadcasting that we listened to on the AM radio with my father in the car, um, to uh, Pastor Wayne in her, here in Hawaii, Wayne Cordero, just meant a lot to me and really spoke to me. And what I had uh, really tried to focus on is I didn't want to be in my comfort zone when it came to Jesus. If it was about Jesus, if it was about Christianity, I want to be out of my comfort zone. I've always operated out of my comfort zone in business and very aggressive in that area, but I wanted to, to be out of my comfort zone when it came to talking about or being involved with Christianity. Well, there's a certain seed that has grown 
a seed of courage that the Lord had planted in you early on with these entrepreneurial gifts, your first loan, bank loan at, in seventh grade, starting your own businesses already at a very young age. When did you meet Mary? You know, I met Mary, I uh, had some dealerships in Southern California uh, and a little over 30 years ago, and I met her. It was it was interesting. She was working at the Balboa Bay Club, and I had just moved in, and I thought, wow, that's a great young lady, and it took um, probably six or eight months until I got up enough uh, gumption to want to ask her out, but uh, was able to do that, and it was just kind of a long process. Southern California uh, was a was a great market for me, but at the same time, it was a lot of work with my dealerships there. And so my focus, number one, was definitely on my businesses, but I had an opportunity to meet this nice young lady and we continued forward today. The love grows, the romance continues. Iowa State University, a degree in agricultural economics. So here we have a cyclone degree in agricultural economics. How does that person named Mark Benson Go from that to the automobile industry. Well, you know, um, I wanted to be a John Deere dealer. That still, frankly, maybe is still my lifelong goal. But when I got out of college, um, John Deere had not been hiring for three years. They were gracious enough to let me travel with their territorial managers, what they called it. The fellow responsible for selling tractors to the dealers on behalf of Deere, you know, around the Midwest. So I had spent a lot of time with deer. I really wanted to work with deer. That was my goal. But unfortunately, the ag economy didn't support anything. And I had an opportunity to go. Frankly, I probably pushed them into the opportunity, but uh, American Honda and uh, pushed my way in, you might say, and uh, went to work for them doing something similar, you know, working for the manufacturer, selling the automobiles from the Japanese company to uh, American car dealerships. And Hawaii at one point actually was my territory. And so I'd spend 10 days here in Honolulu at the Colony Surf and 20 days on the mainland and uh, meeting with the dealers, helping them on facilities, helping them on business practices. And at the same time, while I'm helping them, they're helping me tremendously because I'm learning how to run dealerships from them. Well, you talk about dealerships. Somebody listening, maybe tuning in right now or maybe catching this part of the podcast Maybe thinking, okay, this 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 must be a show about automobile dealerships, the auto industry, agricultural economics. But there is a segue in your life after decades of work, well, a, a combined forty years for you and Mary. But we're also talking about Museum of the Bible. Yes, Mark. When we come back, let's jump into that. It's it's just a unique framing of how God has led you. And it brings up the question, how is God leading me? Perhaps that's a question that a listener is asking. Perhaps it's a question we, we ought to be asking. Because be asking. the question itself yeah. has in it a view that is asking. It's really a prayer. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing around me? What are you doing through me? What are you doing through those who are in my life, family, friends? What are you doing? And Mark Benson, you and Mary have been wonderful examples of that. And let's talk about Museum of the Bible when we come back. Dear friend, as you listen to Mark Benson, I want you to think about this. That God leads us when our hearts are open. 
He also leads us at times when our hearts aren't open and we just don't see it. Perhaps this is a moment where our eyes begin to light up, as it were, to what the Lord is doing. You can find out more about Mark Benson and Museum of the Bible at museumofthebible.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Namelessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Well, Mark Benson is a multiple Paul Harris Fellow with Rotary International and a Boy Scouts of America Silver Beaver recipient. Mark, his wife Mary, their son Patrick. Benson's, the Bensons, they embrace the core belief of giving back to show their gratefulness. He does that. And he is today partner relations, in charge of partner relations for Museum of the Bible from Colorado to Asia. Museum of the Bible inviting all people to engage with the transformative power of the Bible. Mark Benson, you and Mary have a combined 40 years in the automobile industry. How did God lead you to Museum of the Bible? You know, um, uh, we did some crazy radical things at Honolulu Ford, and we're rewarded for it, uh, where we put uh, faith and family first, and it really, really uh, paid off for our team, our organization, our teammates. But all those years there, and since we sold Honolulu Ford and another dealership in Seattle, I kept being waking up at 2 a.m. in the morning and saying, all right, God, what am I doing with the talents you've given me? Am I using them to their maximum? Am I using them for the kingdom? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? I'm not a pastor. That's not my calling. That's not my ability. But I kept praying, God, use my talents in a way that glorifies you. And so these things, you know how they work from sometimes. This person introduces you to this person and this person. All within about a three-week period, I met a great fellow by the name of John Sharp. He uh, was in charge of a group called C3, which is a a businessman's group in the Seattle market. And John went to work for the museum. I had an opportunity prior to him going to work to tour the Museum of the Bible. And uh, then consequently, a few months later, have lunch with Steve Green in Oklahoma City. And I was hooked. It uh, is something that I had never seen before. 
uh, the presentation, the relationship, the engagement that the museum offers people is something that uh, I don't know anyone has experienced. And so I just knew that at some point in time, I wanted to be involved. So there you are, Mark, visiting the visiting Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., impressed and moved. What is the mission of Museum of the Bible? You know, that's a, that's a wonderful question. It is to invite people to experience the transformative nature of the Bible. And so what we do is we lay the Bible out, good and bad, because the Bible has been used for all different things since the beginning of time around the world. And so we lay out exactly what the Bible says in ways that people can embrace. The use of tech is uh, just, frankly, most people say uh, it's through the roof on what we do. And so it is not a bunch of old, dusty books, but it truly shows the Bible coming to life right before your eyes. And it allows people to see what the Bible is and what it's capable of doing particularly in today's day and age where people are trying to reinvent history, it uh, shows what history really is. What stirs you as you describe what it's like? And I'm going to want to go in a little bit further on that, the description, but what stirs you most, Mark, about serving there? You know, I, I equate it. I don't run anything down about what I've done before. God has prepared me for the job that I'm doing right now. Um, I very much enjoyed being a car dealer or other things that I've done on volunteer boards over the years. But whether I sold someone an F-150 or a Honda Accord, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. There's no eternal consequences. What I see with the Museum of the Bible is the ability to bring people in from all faith or, frankly, no faith and invite them in, give them hospitality, make them feel comfortable, and then allow them to learn how the Bible has impacted societies, how the Bible has uh, impacted us uh, centuries ago, and what the Bible is impacting us going forward, how it is so important uh, for our society and our world to learn from the Bible. Describe, Mark, describe Museum of the Bible for someone who has never been there. So the best way that I like to describe it, and again, this is Mark's personal opinion, it's the Smithsonian meets the Ritz-Carlton. And the presentation that is put together at the museum, in my eyes, is extremely polished. Um, I love looking at it through people that then they first come in and they have an opportunity to see the museum. I greet them on the way out after they spend a couple hours or they spend a day. And it's generally the same answer to the question. I hold my hand up about by my eye and I say, did we meet your expectation with my hand up about at eye level? And they turn around with their hand and go up significantly higher. And almost to every person I ask that question, they will say exceeded my expectation. So the Museum of the Bible, the, the stats are 430,000 square feet of public space. Um, to help put that in your mind's eye, it is like four Home Depots stacked on top of each other. And the uh, museum is located approximately three blocks from the nation's capital. So right in the middle of what some people considered the world, the seat of power in the world, is where the Museum of the Bible is to share truth with the world. Was that intentional? 
I believe it's God-led. It is God-led all the way through. Steve Green um, and the Hobby Lobby family is the genesis behind it. And Steve likes to joke when he talks about the Museum of the Bible, and, and he said it a number of times. Uh, it wasn't their desire to go out and open a museum, uh, let alone in, in Washington, D.C. They It was their way that he likes to joke and say God tricked them. But uh, they were acquiring artifacts about uh, 14, 15 years ago to preserve and protect and to share with the world. And as those artifacts began to grow, uh, the museum uh, genesis started to take place and then when to locate it. So it wasn't an easy process, but my understanding is it was well over a year. And after a tremendous amount of prayer, this building opened up. The building is 100 years old. And uh, it opened up for the ability to buy, but it had to be purchased within 30 days at a massive amount of money. So an unusual opportunity, but it had to move quickly. And Hobby Lobby was able to put together with them and uh, some other uh, significant donors over the years, this ability to reach out and uh, acquire the facility and then start the planning and actually completion of the museum. We've been open now to the public just a little over five years. Again, your thoughts, your your opinion on this. Why would somebody in 30 days drop X amount of dollars for something like that? Let's just say it's an exorbitant amount in 30 days for a museum of the Bible. You know, over the years, whenever uh, I've been involved a little bit with commercial property, but it's always interesting. I've never met anybody, including myself, that when they buy a building, go, man, doggone it, I overpaid for that one. <laughs> and so while I wasn't there, I've got to think that uh, the Hobby Lobby family had thought when they purchased this one, wow, we sure overpaid for this one. But what they were able to do with God leading the way, with God opening it up, because there just isn't any private space within D.C., within the Beltway, that very limited on what anybody can buy. And to be able to take this facility, which originally was uh, set up for trains to pull in, and they would unload their produce and their meats. It was actually just a massive refrigerator that they used, 12 stories tall, 12 floors. And uh, that's how it started. And then it moved to the Kennedy family owned it. And um, they ended up doing a design mart in it, but it had fallen into some disrepair on the 12 floors. So currently the entire building was gutted. The bricks were retained on the outside and some of the things, the pillars and things on the inside. But ultimately it is now six floors with two sub basements and with high ceilings, majestic architecture, uh, took advantage of the past, but at the same time, the use of light in the facility just has a tendency to give everyone a tremendous list, lift individually. Explore Museum of the Bible's current and past exhibits. You know, just looking online and seeing that at museumofthebible.org. First-hand look at the global influence in the history of the Bible. There's an exhibit, Scripture and Science, Our Universe, Ourselves, and Our Place. There's a Personal Stories uh, section, Samaritans, a biblical people, that personal stories, Watchman Nee, there was a Corrie ten Boone. When I think about, here's Mark Benson doing work there at the museum, at Museum of the Bible. When you see people come through, you said, okay, the expectations are high. What have you heard about in terms of 
not only the excellence that's there, which is impressive, what's going on in the hearts of people? What have you heard? You know, that's a, that's a, I could be on this podcast for next 10 years and probably not run out of stories, Danny. Um, they range from a, a mutual friend that you and I have here in Hawaii that I happened to bump into at the museum. And he said, Mark, right over there, that bench, that bench right there, I led my dad to Christ. Hmm. Right there on that bench. And listening uh, to Roland tell the story, listening about it and what the museum means to him and why it means to him. Uh, prior to his father's passing was just incredible. We've had, uh, you mentioned uh, some of our temporary exhibits, and we also had the Magna Carta uh, at the museum and the RIT, first time they'd been out of Europe, and uh, the ability to share the Magna Carta with America, very important. We had 81,000 people go through an exhibit that we had put together with the Shroud of Turin, and uh, that was for six months. And it wasn't designed to tell people the shroud is or isn't. It was to get people to understand the facts and then make up their own mind about it. We had a uh, what's called a uh, facsimile or a, a replica of the shroud that people were a- actually able to touch and uh, to be able to interact with. It was designed for people that were visually challenged as well as uh, normal folks going in to see it. So we try to embrace all. I would say, Danny, the the big thing that I see at the museum, if a person goes in and wants to read every plaque and look at every video and not even look at the books, just look at those items alone, you will spend 92 hours in the museum going through it. So a person can get in depth in many different areas. They can become active and involved and see what's happening out there. Um, One of the other exhibits we have is an organization called Illuminations. And by the year 2032, they plan to have the gospel in every language uh, known to man in in the world and to be able to share the gospel. And it takes you through an exhibit and shows you what has been completed. The Hawaiian Bible is on display there all the way through, uh, excuse me, Hawaiian Bible, I mispronounced, and uh, all the way through to uh, Bibles they're working on in the uh, deepest recesses of South America. And it's a coordinated effort by many different Bible translation organizations to bring it together for the maximum efficiency. So it's really to show people how the Bible has shaped the world and that shaping, what does that look like? And so it really takes you into in-depth areas, depending upon what you really want to learn. Mark Benson is in charge of partner relations for Museum of the Bible covering from Colorado to Asia. You can find out more about Museum of the Bible and some of the graphics there are, as Mark describes, stunning. Museumofthebible.org. It's been open for over five years. Museumofthebible.org. When we come back, what does Mark Benson actually do? Now, he's described it. What is partner relations? What does he do? And He's mentioned a couple of times he's in Hawaii, but the Museum of the Bible is in Washington, D.C. What does his work comprise? How is he able to do that and impact so many lives, even a man sitting on a bench leading his father to Christ? More from Mark Benson, museumofthebible.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life, aimlessly beneath the barren sky. 
On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE, and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Museum of the Bible is a global, innovative, educational institution whose purpose is to invite all people to engage with the transformative power of the Bible. Some of the permanent exhibits include the impact of the Bible on America, stories of the Bible, the history of the Bible. Long-term exhibits include, get this now, treasures from the Vatican Museum and the Vatican Library. And you'll be able to see things like scripture and science, our universe, ourselves, and our place. You can find out more at museumofthebible.org. Mark Benson joins us. And if you're tuning in right now, and maybe you caught the tail end, just a little bit of the last part before our break, you can get this program in its entirety. Just go to drdanny.live or go to Spotify, Apple, drdanny.live. This podcast is available for you there. Mark Benson, what is your role? When you say partner relations, in charge of partner relations, what is your role at Museum of the Bible? So the museum takes no government funding. We have an annual budget of $51 million to uh, deliver what I believe is a tremendous amount of excellence for the world, and it costs money. And so we charge a small uh, fee to enter the museum or a small fee for membership, just like a lot of um, zoos or that sort of thing may do. But uh, that isn't even close to being able to cover what we need to cover the operational costs. So what my responsibility is to help raise money, help raise awareness, help raise involvement. So it's enjoyable to go out, meet people that um, are Christian, uh, Jewish, or frankly, Danny, one of my very good friends uh, and a significant donor to the museum now is a devout agnostic. But he saw so much value in preserving true history He wanted to become involved with the museum. So I spend my time and energy sharing what the museum is able to do. I listen to that nudge from God much better than I have done before. And uh, when I see that opening or I may have the ability to talk to a a person about it, 
Um, I listen to what God is, is talking to them, how to use their time and their treasure appropriately. That's a unique work that you do. It takes a certain kind of a special person to do that. How are you able to do that from Hawaii? <laughs> well, I traveled quite a bit. I uh, flew just under 170,000 miles last year and uh, had the opportunity to uh, be in Japan for a portion of last year. And we studied uh, with a few friends here in Hawaii, the Hidden Christians. And uh, we're, uh, we did about a thousand miles by train and a thousand miles driving and saw the story that, uh, that was uh, brought to the silver screen under um, Martin Scorsese, the movie Silence. And we were able to see many of those locations and learn. Also over to the Vatican and spent some time uh, with the Pope's attorney in the Vatican Library. And just to be able to learn, uh, again, history. And then what I like to do with that is to be able to share those stories I think there's a hunger out there uh, for most people and most people today saying, okay, God, um, I've got a home. I've got a business. Uh, my grandkids are doing well. My kids are doing well. What do you want me to do with my resources? And there are a tremendous amount of great uh, nonprofit organizations out there. I take absolutely nothing away from them, but I do believe that our nonprofit that we have is a tremendous investment in the kingdom because we plan to be here for hundreds of years in the future. It's not about a personality. It's about a book. You spoke with the Pope's lawyer. Not many have that, that opportunity. But a long-term exhibit includes treasures from the Vatican Museum and the Vatican Library. You visited the Vatican. What was that experience like, Mark Benson? Uh, not being Catholic, but growing up Lutheran, I have an appreciation, obviously, but I still refer to the Vatican as the capital C church. You know, we all came from that route, and I felt a tremendous presence walking into the Vatican in my first visit, and to be able to sit uh, at the Pope's reading table and have the, uh, the Pope's librarian there with us, and to be able to explain, and, and uh, Monsignor Larry, the Pope's attorney, spent an hour and a half with us telling us the stories and some of the history, uh, most recent history at the Vatican. It was a tremendous experience and something that I never would have thought I would have been exposed to. And uh, what I like to do is relay that, just like right now, but also to our partners within the museum to uh, share what we're doing and what we're doing to try to continue to bring things to light to make the share the stories out there so Americans and people from overseas can see when they're here visiting us at the museum. Museumofthebible.org. Upcoming exhibits include the Dead Sea Scrolls. Past exhibits include Bells of Bethlehem, Sounds from the Church of the Nativity, Basilica Sancti Petri, the Transformation of St. Peter's Basilica, and so much more. You're listening to Mark Benson. Mark is the partner relations, in charge of partner relations there for Museum of the Bible. Mark, as you look ahead, what what are some things that Museum of the Bible are are planning? Great question. So one is the reason for my trip to Japan wasn't a social visit, but we want to tell the story 
of Japan and the history of Christianity in Japan, the rich history and what happened back in the 1600s to Father Xavier all the way through to MacArthur, where MacArthur asked Congress for 10,000 missionaries and 10 million Bibles. And Congress uh, didn't see it his way, but a deep uh, relationship of spirituality in Japan. But depending upon what stats we listen to, anywhere from one and a half to 2% Christian is all. So if we are able to tell that story in Washington, D.C., we think that we can help uh, encourage our Japanese friends to learn more about the Bible and uh, to become involved with the Bible and become involved with Christ. And so we're looking at that. Also, we're in the process of... um, exploring and doing a uh, tremendous exhibit on the second coming. You know, what does Revelation say? What does it look like? And are we in the end times right now? So we're in the process of putting things like that together. And it's exciting to see because we know we're living in a time where the biblical truths are more important than ever. And so that's what we're trying to lay out. So people can see what the true biblical proof truth is and then let the Holy Spirit take over from there. There sounds to me to be a catalytic uh, effect there at Museum of the Bible. People come, people, well, the word transformative seems fitting. You, you come, you enter, you visit, you not only explore, but you, you just be there. You're there, and in some ways, the experience itself just moves your heart. What do you sense that the Holy Spirit is doing? Well, I feel it. The moment I walk in, I feel the covering. I feel it when I'm in there. I feel it when I'm talking to our guests. I feel it when I'm talking to my teammates. It is so important to be able to feel the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's there. Um, We have a great time. You know, we laugh, we tease, we enjoy. Um, It's fun, Danny, to see someone that's wearing a different uh, clothing outfit and and might find out that they're, uh, they're Buddhist, or we might find out that um, they're Jewish and, and it's a rabbi and it's enjoyable to listen to what they see on the presentations we put together and answer their questions to the best of my ability. That's really what I enjoy. In the New England area, many here are interested in, and in other parts of the world and other parts of the the nation, when you think about a museum, a question comes up, you know, archives, researchers, scholars, is there a way for scholars to get their hands on some artifacts in research that they might be doing? You know, the answer, I always tell everybody, the answer to everything at the Museum of the Bible is yes, until I get in trouble. Um, But no, to, to, to answer that question directly, of course, we want people to come in. We have a tremendous scholars initiative. Our facilities, frankly, are second to none. Uh, We can have uh, just something along this line. Um, If the White House had a dinner on Tuesday night and the menu they served, we can have the same caterer and the exact same menu at the museum on Thursday night. And hosting 350 people for sit-down dinners, um, we're able to do that. We have a uh, 470-seat auditorium. 
that is uh, very similar to an IMAX experience all the way across to classrooms that we have set up that uh, we can host about 80 people at a time and uh, we're able to broadcast around the world. So from a scholarly perspective, uh, we are wide open to help. You're listening to Mark Benson. Find out more at museumofthebible.org. When we come back, a shift just a little bit here. Perhaps more on a personal personal nature. The Bible does speak to people in the midst of struggle, in the midst of challenging moments of life. You've heard the, the dyna- dynamic uh, character and the dynamic personality of Mark Benson, but what has God done even in challenging times? Museumofthebible.org. Stay with us. We'll be back with more. Wandering the road of desperate life They must beneath the barren sky This is Danny Yamashiro. Don Pick Benson wrote, When I was growing up, my dad was a farmer, not a Christian. He had little interest in faith, having been told by his father that the Bible was a fairy tale. But then a local pastor took an interest in my dad, asking if he could help plow the fields on the weekend. That one act of service spoke louder than words ever could to my dad. By his actions, the pastor made my dad feel loved, and that did more than any preaching could have. He didn't need convincing about the theological correctness of the Bible. He needed to feel God's love for him. This pastor met that need in a practical way, and that's evangelism. For more inspiration on evangelism, go to drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. It does not take long. Anyone who reads the Bible spends some time thinking about it, reflecting on the stories, the, the characters, the people in the Bible, the story arcs you'll find that there are some pretty dark times in the Bible that people go through, things that are even hard to express at certain moments in life, and yet the Bible does not pull back any punches. There it is, and underneath it all, there is a grace of God's redemption through the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Christ pulled through from generation, from Genesis to Revelation, and bringing hope to people today. Dear friend, are you going through a challenge? Are you going through a difficult time? I just want to remind you here that you are not alone. Mark Benson, as you've shared in the time with us, and I'm grateful that you have, how has the Lord helped you through challenging times in your own life? I don't think you have enough time, Danny. Um, yeah, there's, Mark's life has not been a, a, a fairy tale or a, a um, bed of roses. And, you know, uh, I don't look at life at saying I'm successful. 
if I'm happy, I'm successful. Uh, if I've got money in the bank, I'm successful. You fill in the blank. Um, I love what Paul said. I can be happy and contented in all situations. Um, of course, a person wants to be successful in the eyes of the world or successful when I'm shaving and looking in the mirror in the morning. But there is no promise that way. I don't, I don't feel that. And I don't let that define me. What I try to define myself is I want to run the race that when I meet St. Peter someday, I've got my hands on my knees and I'm out of breath and that I left it all on the field. I pushed as hard as I knew how to push in the manner that I felt Jesus wants me to push. That's what I would define success. So defining success, how about in the face of challenges? I think it's challenges makes, makes us stronger. You know, the old saying about uh, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. You know, that definitely comes into play. Um, you know, when somebody told me, uh, well, I'll just go back to high school. I mean, my high school guidance counselor would not help me fill out the application to go to Iowa State. He said, you're not college material. You're wasting your time. You won't get in. So let's not do that to when I did get in under academic probation and, and was able to stay, believe it or not, and shocked when I actually got my degree. Um, you know, those are challenges or not knowing where my next meal was coming from in school because I work 40 hours a week and just try to pay tuition. You know, do I look back on it with regret? No, I look back at it as it just built some character in me. Sometimes there's times I wish I didn't have as much character uh, dings and dents. Uh, in this body that I've had from life, you know, making decisions and, and uh, making some bad decisions over the years. But I try to outweigh it with today's a new day. And you said the word earlier, it's redemption. And if I try to focus on redemption and leading those around me that God wants me to talk to, then I think I'm doing what God wants me to do. What do you believe the Lord would say to someone who is facing a financial issue. The weather has been tough in certain areas or where people live. Some might even have damage on property, unexpected. They don't know how to, how they're going to afford certain things. A relationship is falling apart. Communication has gone silent. People's health are on the brink. Or maybe news. Someone received news today about a condition that is deadly or maybe a child is gone astray or I can go on and on, Mark Benson, a word of hope as the Lord has spoken and worked through your life to someone today. Well, I think the first thing to do is always take a breath, you know, take a breath, take a big breath. And here in society, in our lives today, I don't think there's really necessarily anything new. We're just recreating or repackaging problems that have happened throughout the beginning of time since, since man fell from the garden. And it's how we respond to those challenges. I think that uh, first and foremost, there are people out there that want to help, not give you a handout, but give you a hand up. I love that saying. And I think that that exists, number one. Two, family, friends, people that want to encourage. Encouragement is so important. But myself, uh, when I felt the world caving in on me and caving in just, just, 
I can't carry it anymore. I can't sleep at night. I can't carry what I would do. Uh, sleep has been something that's been very important to me. I always needed at least six hours to function, to be able to mentally uh, go back out and uh, get in the game again. I would say, God, you got to take my backpack tonight and you can take the problems. In the morning, I'll take the backpack and put it back on. But right now, I need some rest. You've got to get me through this. And that way, I'm able to follow you. So we've all watched and seen the uh, picture of footprints on the sand, and uh, we know the meaning of that. And I think what I try to do is encourage those around me that uh, there really are not that many problems that we're going through today that haven't been with us since the fall in the garden. It's how we choose to deal with them. Well, the scripture says that he grants sleep to those he loves. Mark, you've had your rest at least six hours. Someone is having sleepless nights. Would you pray for that dear friend or maybe a believer who is listening today? We have believers and we have those that are searching in one way or another, listening to us now, searching for God, searching for the Lord Jesus. Would you pray for peace, for sleep, and however God leads you for them and the breakthroughs in their lives. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly. We come before you, Lord, that we know, you already know what we need in our lives to bring contentment, satisfaction, successes, desires, happiness. You know what we need, Lord, before we even ask. So we just pray, O oh Lord, that you give us the peace, the resolution, the desire, the clarity, Lord, that we're able to pick up and run the race in a manner that you would like us to run and to give us that opportunity to impact and encourage those people around us because this is not a race that we're running individually, but this is a race we're running together. So, Lord, we just want to lift you up and give a tremendous thank you and what you're doing to each and every one of our lives and offer that encouragement, Lord, that bright, shining star that we're able to look up and see at night and that refreshing morning as the sun comes up, that we've had a night's rest and we're able to lift up and do a great job for our family, our friends, our community, and to exemplify you, Lord Jesus. In thy name we pray. Amen. 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 Mark Benson, thanks for being with us today, sharing your precious time and sharing out of your life. Thank you, Danny. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. And uh, let me know what I can do in the future. Encouraging words from Mark Benson, museumofthebible.org. Dear friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And hey, if you haven't done so, look, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, major podcast platforms. Psalm 119.105 Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Mark Benson, museumofthebible.org. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast 
of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.